Hey, this is Foyana with the Tech After Vibe podcast. And I know that you knew that already, but uh, I wanted to tell you, we have a particularly amazing guest for this episode. We have Shelly Archambault. She is a former GM at IBM. She is on the board of Verizon and the board of Nordstrom, and quite frankly, the most accomplished woman in tech I have ever met. She has done some amazing things, and she is here to talk about how she got those things done. And of course, she is the author of the book, Unapologetically Ambitious, and I can, without any reservation at all, recommend that you read that too, as she talks about her path through tech and at the executive level. Uh, quite an accomplished person, really fun to talk to, so much energy. Um, I hope that uh, some of that rubs off on me. I hope that it's something that is enjoyed by you. Here we go. Hi, this is Phil Yana with the Tech After Five podcast, and you know that we are here to help you, both our tech entrepreneurs and our tech professionals, move the ball forward. So maybe you're building a business, maybe you're moving your career forward. The good news is today we have a very special guest who's done both and can speak to that with some excellence and some expertise. Um, we're going to let her introduce herself in just a second. But first off, I want to introduce my co-host. I've got Scott Pfeiffer here with me. Hey, Phil. It's always great to be here. Yes, it is great to be here. Glad to be here on this particular day because uh, we have Shelly Archambault with us, and uh, she has got quite a background. So, I, Shelly, as I go through, if I tried to read your intro the way it was presented to us, that we'd be, it'd be time to say we're done with the podcast because there's so much <laughs> good stuff in there. Um, if you're if you're hitting two or three points and trying to tell people who you are in an elevator, what are the things that stand out for you? Things that you tell them. Welcome, by the way, and please introduce yourself for our group. Well, thanks very much, Bill and Scott. I've been looking forward to this. So, who who is Shelly Archambault? I'm an intentional woman who decided early she wanted to run a company, and I spent my entire career working to improve the odds to actually make that happen. So started my career in IBM, um, rose to the ranks where I was a general manager and vice president, and no one was higher than me that looked like me, but it wasn't clear that that CEO opportunity was going to come my way. And so I worked my way to Silicon Valley where I ultimately did become CEO at 40, uh, taking a company that was very broken. Um, and turning it into a global market leader. And that company was MetricStream in governance, risk, and compliance. And now I serve on corporate boards, advise companies, do a little investing, and try to help and support entrepreneurs in different ways. I love that. You know, I was sitting there thinking that your elevator pitch is the kind of thing where I wish the building were taller. You know, I'd let you talk. I'd let you talk longer. I want to know more. You know, you leave me telling you know, wanted to ask more and more questions. And of course, that's why we're here today, because this is exactly the kind of folks, the kind of thing that our people would like to hear about. Uh, so I want to ask you, I mean, the thing going through IBM and I, because I have worked with lots of IBM executives over the years, um, that's no mean feat what you pulled off there. No, <laughs> no it was not. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 
what for in that time as you're going through that bit, and I I, I want to pull that thread for a second in per, part of the career side was just because again I think a lot of our folks have spent some time there as well. Um, for inside of IBM, what I mean, what was propelling you forward, right? I mean, I want to get to the points that you're bringing up in the book, but I'm kind of curious as you're in there making your own career, what is driving you forward, and what are the the moments that are scariest for you? Mm. So there were a few things, Phil. One is I took I took ownership of my career early, and in that I set a goal, and then the way I the way I do it is I put plans in place. You know, I set a goal, and then I ask myself, okay, what what will it take, right, to actually achieve that goal? What has to be true? And then I ask myself, well, how do I make it true? And how do I make it true becomes my plan. So when I joined IBM, I literally aspired to be CEO of IBM. So I said, okay, I looked around and there's 120,000 people at IBM. I thought, gosh, they probably all want to be CEO. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So how's this going to work? Even if only half of them, it's kind of a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it was a couple of things. It's like, okay, you know, dust off what you learn in business school. I said, fine, I got to differentiate myself. And so IBM was terrible at marketing. So I decided marketing was what I was going to make my strength. And then second... I was trying to be very intentional about the jobs I took and what I aspired to. So I knew I needed P&L experience to actually compete for a CEO job. So I looked at a branch manager was the first P&L job you could get. So I said, fine, I want to be a branch manager by the time I'm 30. Most people are in their early to mid 30s. I said, by the time I'm 30. And literally it was then, okay, do the job, execute, figure out what's required, you know, to get promoted. How do I network? How do I make sure people know what I do, right? How, it was literally very much focused on what are the steps to get to branch manager and making sure that when I felt blocked, which trust me happened, that I did things to get around those blocks. I call it swerving. Um, But ultimately, I did become branch manager when I was 30. And then every step of the way from there was the same. I let people know what I wanted to do. I asked for help and support. I adopted mentors all over the place. And I got done more than what people expected that I should get done. Because you ha- in order to be able to move like that, you've got to achieve your objectives, if not exceed your objectives consistently. So fortunately, all those things came to, to pass. And yes, I was able to get promoted all the way up to the point where I was running a multi-billion dollar division in Asia Pacific. Um, and my boss, John Joyce, reported to Lou Gerstner, the CEO. So I had, I had done very well. Yeah, I, and that's just an amazing journey. And the thing is, well, you came out of business school. So, I mean, you're in a tech environment, but you're really a business person inside the tech environment is yeah. what it, it's the way I the way I'm reading that, right? So that gave you an advantage that I think that for someone else, I think as we kind of talked to the folks that we were, you made a very important point there. And that was get to a PL position if you want to have be able to move forward. I know that this is a thing that Scott thinks about in terms of people's careers as well, is that, uh, you know, if you're not responsible for the money either coming in or how it's spent, it's kind of hard to make it to the next level, right? Absolutely. And let me tell you one other thing. I started my career in sales, hmm. in sales, which by the way, people thought I was crazy. I'm coming out of Wharton and I'm going to start out in sales. I'm selling computers. What? Am I nuts? Everybody's going off to be investment bankers, international finance people, and Procter & Gamble product managers, all these sexy titles, and I'm going to be a computer salesperson. But I did it because every single CEO at IBM started out in sales. So I figured it had to be the, you know, the path to power, right? So find the, the current. 
And I will tell you, it was one of the best decisions I made. You learn so much in sales. I tell everybody, everyone should do a career stint in sales. Take a sales job because nothing happens until you sell something. Yeah. Tom Mendoza, the former vice chairman of NetApp, is famous for saying, everybody in the company, sales is your, is your number one job. And whatever we hired you to do is your number two job. So I think that's right. You I know, the company can't, sales drives everything, right? It does. It does. Don't sell anything. Nobody has a job to do. <laughs> Absolutely no, right. I think, I think that's great. So the thing is, uh, I'm curious then, because you came out of Wharton, you go in there and you go into sales. And I think, I, I think that's a genius move, but I don't think Wharton prepares you for sales. It prepared you for a lot of other stuff, but it did not prepare you to have customers say no to your face. Mm-hmm. So true. And that's yeah. frankly, and that's frankly why sales is so important to do because you learn, you learn one of the key secrets in business, which is a no doesn't mean no forever. Right. All that no means is not now. It means something's not right. The value prop's not right. Timing's not right. Team's not right. Something's not right. It doesn't mean no forever. So once you learn that lesson, You'll use it. I used it throughout my entire career. If I wasn't getting no's, then I wasn't pushing hard enough. So right. I needed to get the no so I could understand well, why not. And once I asked why not, then you get the roadmap. You get the roadmap for what you have to do. Remember my, my point about what are you trying to achieve? Ask myself what has to be true to get there and how do I make it true? Well, asking a question and getting a no is perfect because then you right. say, well, why not? And then they tell you, why not? Now you have your roadmap. <laughs> I need to do this, 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 and I'm going to come back and ask again. So yes, sales, getting to know, really important. Yeah, I think so too. Did, uh, did you have a mentor for that in the sales side? I mean, obviously you had a manager, but was there someone else that was kind of like, oh, I want to be that guy. He's my exemplar or that gal. I, Listen, sure. I, I was fortunate. I had a number of people. I'm a I'm a big watcher of people. I um I tend to be very aware of people and, and my surroundings, mainly because of how I how I grew up. So I'm observant. Uh, and therefore I watch people who were good to say, okay, you know, what are they doing? How are they doing that? Right? Et cetera. And then I, you know, yes, I absolutely had mentors, more senior salespeople than me, people that I watched that did well and I go and talk to. So I listened as much as I could. I honestly, I think listening is one of those underappreciated skills because I personally feel that amazing advice falls from the sky, literally falls from the sky, but most people aren't listening for it. So it just lands right on the ground. I'm a pretty good listener. So I'm, I'm able to take advantage of a lot of that that falls from the sky. (laughs) Sure. I love that. And the thing is, you know, I think about this for a lot of tech people. They don't, they didn't figure out that part that they need to get into the sales role first. And so my advice to them is always, look, you're not in sales. You're on the tech side of this thing. Go sit down and talk to the salespeople and have them tell you what the customers are saying to them when they're going through that journey so that you can be better at what you do, um, because I think this is an important role. And you brought up the idea, you know, you brought up your background was different and you felt like it fed into what you have become. I want you to talk that a little bit. I mean, you know, not everybody that goes into IBM with the idea that I'm going to be CEO is as fierce as you. How did that come to be? Well, I learned very, very early, Phil, that the odds weren't in my favor. And so if I just did what everyone else did, 
I wasn't going to get what I wanted. So I had to figure out how to improve my odds. I, you know, I grew up um, elementary school in the 60s, which was a really tumultuous time for as many people that thought civil rights should happen. Just as many didn't. And my family, my father didn't have a college degree. We moved around a ton as he was, you know, rising and trying to improve his earnings power and support his family of four kids. Uh, and so I found myself being the new kid on the block and many times being the new kid on the block in a very homogenous environment where I was the only. And so I had all kinds of experiences, people, you know, verbal abuse, physical abuse. I mean, you name it. So it was really clear the odds weren't in my favor. And my parents were really clear, especially my mom. You know, you come home as a kid because something happens. It's not fair, right? Somebody did something to you, treated you badly. You didn't get something you thought you should, whatever it might be. You know, you remember kids saying this, you know, it's not fair, right? And my mom would just look at me and say, you're right, Shelly. Life's not fair. It's supposed to be fair. (laughs) No, it's not fair. Whew, okay. So life's not fair. So what are you going to do about it? You know, what's her thing? So life's not fair. Okay, it's right. not. So it's just a fact. So now what are you going to do about it? So all of that made me very intentional, realizing like, okay, it's not fair. So if I want something, I just have to figure out how to improve my odds. Yeah. So what were your tricks for that? Uh, that's where being intentional really paid off for me. And so that's why I became such a planner. And that was really being strategic. So saying, okay, what is it that I want? whether it's to be, you know, involved in a club, you know, take a leadership position, whatever it was, what, what is it I want to do? Okay. How do I get there? How do I get support? Right. How do I get encouraged? How I learn what's, what's required. And I'd put a plan in place literally. So this I did professionally as well as personally. So for instance, um, okay. I, IBM, um, I wanted to, I talked about wanting to be the CEO and looking at what's required, right? So I set the goals um, to indeed do that. So I knew I needed to be a sales rep. And if I'm a sales rep, a sales manager, then I need a staff job that I need. I mapped out here are the different jobs and roles. And then I worked my way to make sure people, number one, knew what I wanted to do and asked them, what do you think it takes? What experiences should I have? What skills do I need, right? I mean, I literally did that, but I also did it personally. I also did it personally. Things I wanted personally, I did the same thing. When my husband and I were, heck, engaged. So we're not even married. There's no pregnancy. I was already putting together, here's our budget. We need great childcare because I want to work and you're working. So we need great childcare. So we started saving for childcare, right? Before we even got there. It was the first line item of the budget. Why do you do that? So when you actually have the kids, you have the money for the childcare. (laughs) So I believe that by planning, and then making decisions every day, consistent with the plan, that's where the power is. A lot of people set goals. Some people put plans in place. But I find that very few people actually make decisions every day, consistent with their plans, consistent with what they're trying to do. Yeah, I love that. You know, I do um, strategic planning for companies and we'll set up set a goal and then say, well, what does the company look like when we achieve that goal? What people do we have? What skills do we have? What products are we selling? What customers do we have? And then where are we now and how do we get there and, you know, and all that. And you're taking that and applying it to your own personal career. And I think that's brilliant. Uh, you know, here's where I want to be in five years and here's the skills I'm going to need to have to have if I'm going to be there and how do I go get them? And I think that's fantastic advice. 
Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, it works for building a business too. The same thing, right? To your point. Yeah. What are you trying to be? What are you trying to achieve? Okay, so what does that mean? What has to be true? And how do I make it true? Yeah, I love that. I do an exercise where we, we you know, what's your goal? And then let's build a notional organization chart of what the company looks like if it's doing that much revenue. And then how do we get from here to there? Well, what order do we hire people in? Who do we send to school to get what training? You know, what skills do we need? And it works really, really well. And I love the idea of applying that to your personal, uh, to your personal career path as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is great advice. It, was there uh, something in your childhood that made you say the planning part was the important part? I mean, something is like, did you, is that a, a nugget that you grabbed from somebody else? Uh, you know, probably, probably from my mother, if I, if I really think about it, because it was back to life isn't fair. So what are you going to do about it? Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a very operational plan. You know, Scott will always say, well, if you're worried about what comes next, do something about it. Don't worry about it. Right. Actually act on your own behalf. And you're doing that. I mean, with an energy level, by the way, that we rarely see in the people we get to talk to. So I want to ask, you know, because we talk about, you know, behavior state driven, right? You you wouldn't be able to do this if you didn't have mind, body and soul together in this. So you must be doing other things that kind of keep your brain and your body able to keep up with your planning. Oh, I do. I'm exercise is really important to me. We talked when we got on the show that, hey, feel good this morning, got my exercise in, but exercise is important in terms of self-care. And, you know, I, I'm a people person, which has made this time during COVID pretty hard, but I honestly, I like to help people. So I'm very involved in terms of, you know, community and nonprofits, right, et cetera. And I, I'm one of those people where I don't understand how others get bored because there's always 10 more things that I would do if I had the bandwidth. So, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that who, who you are and what you want to be is, is what you can be. So I choose to be happy. I choose to be energetic. I choose to be, I think these are all choices and then try to live my life and surround myself with people who help reinforce that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just love it. I mean, the I mean, I would just sit here and get the energy off of what you're doing. It's like, okay, this is pretty powerful stuff, right? But it is not an accident, right? You don't get to be at this point um, without having practiced this all the way wrong. Again, mind, body, and soul all came together so that you could execute your plan. Yeah. Now, your book is Take Risks, Break Barriers, and Create Success, right? Yeah, create um, success on your own terms. That's right. Right. I guess the on your own terms is really important, isn't it? It right? is. Um, so talk to us a little bit about why the, you know, why the title has meaning for you. And let's break those apart a little bit. We're going to talk about some of your risk taking, some of your barrier creating, et cetera. Sure. Well, first, let me talk about the first part, which is the unapologetically ambitious, right? So I had the entire book written, frankly, and didn't have a title. I knew I wanted ambition in the title because too many times during my career, either I personally or I saw other people get called ambitious and it wasn't meant as compliment, which is ridiculous. So I wanted ambition in there somewhere, but I couldn't figure out, so I can't just call it ambition. But I was having a conversation with friends about women and how much we apologize. And I made this statement. I said, you know, I feel as if women are raised from birth to apologize because we apologize 5% of the time because we actually did something wrong. But the other 95% is to make the rest of the world feel better. 
to smooth right. tensions, to show we care, right? Empathy, right? All those things. We just say, I'm sorry, kind of like people use salt. It just makes it taste a little better, right? So right. I said, we have to stop doing that. And that's when it all clicked for me. I was like, that's it. Unapologetically ambitious. Everyone has a right to be ambitious and no one should have to apologize for it. And then the take risks, you know, break barriers and create success on your own terms. Risk-taking. People see taking risks as bad and risk is negative. No, risk and opportunity are two sides of the same coin. You know, the whole reason a, whole, a corporation legal entity was formed is so people come together and share risk to go after an idea, right? So risk is critical. So take risks. You have to take risks in order to get opportunities. Um, break barriers is don't worry if nobody's done it before. One day somebody has to break through. So why not you? And then the create success on your own terms is don't let other people define what success should be for you. That's when you become unhappy. That's when it becomes frustrating. No, no, no. Define success for yourself. And then don't let anybody measure you on anything else. No, I love that. Me too. I mean, I do. And of course, I've heard you speak a number of times and I get it. The thing is, not only do I understand what it is you're trying to say, I think you're living it. I mean, I don't. I, this does not feel uh, insincere at all. It doesn't even. It doesn't feel aspirational. It's like, no, no. This is what I did. This isn't what I want to do. It's what I did, yes. and uh, I just think there's a strength to that that I really do enjoy and appreciate. And I mean, like I said, I just feel like you're exuding it as you, even as you talk to us. Talk to me a little bit about your. I mean, what does it mean when you sit down to do a plan? when you're going to take something on new project or something like that, how does Shelly take that on? Yeah. So the first thing is, okay, what, what am I trying to achieve? So that's the, that's the goal. So I've got to define what the end point is. And it may not be the forever end point, but the end point is far in the future as I can envision. So I, that's what I write down. So I start there. What am I trying to achieve? Okay. So if this is what I'm trying to achieve. Now what has to be true? And then it comes, so that comes down to what has to be true. Well, you have to have the right team in place. You've got to have obviously the strategy. I mean, so depending on what it is, but that's how I do it. I literally start writing down, okay, what has to be true for this to actually happen? And then based on what has to be true, I then put a plan in place on, okay, how do I make each of these true? How do I go find the right team members? How do I make sure I got this? How do I do this, right? And pull it all together and then, you know, go forward. And by the way, I do very little all by myself, very little. I'm hesitating. I'm trying to even think of something I've actually done all by myself. I like doing things with others. I can't think of anything significant that's been accomplished in this world that has been done all by a single person. Yeah. I just can't think of a thing. Um, So therefore, it's so important to make sure that you're actually including others in trying to create whatever you're trying to create. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that as well. Yeah, I'm just letting that sink in. I think that's certainly great leadership advice, right? But I think it's also you're kind of defining a rut that a lot of small entrepreneurs get themselves in. And, you know, we talk about that a good bit, but I mean, you know, they, they really are just imagining a they're being a bad boss for themselves um, because they really haven't brought the team to bear. They haven't brought the resources to bear because they really didn't think about how these other people are going to contribute to where they're going and how they might need them to be part of that. Mm -hmm. There's a moment in that startup entrepreneurial journey where you have to decide whether you're 
you're just a solo that occasionally has independent contractors to help you along in a in sort of a career of your own, or whether you're actually building a business and you need a team and you need goals. And, uh, you know, that's a real inflection point, I think, that some people get to. And of course, going the company route and taking on employees and forming an entity, like you said, that's risk. Absolutely. Uh, People are sometimes terrified of risk, but like you said, opportunity and risk are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And often the more of one you have, the more of the other you can have. (laughs) Right. Well, yes, I fully agree with that statement, Scott. You know, Shelly, it just seems like the, on the outside, right, that the career path in large companies looks different than it did 20 years ago. And the opportunities look different than they did 20 years ago. Um, How would you do it if you were doing it again today? I mean, we're, it's, is it still IBM? Is that where you start? Or and what is it you're trying to get done today? Yeah. So if you were I, if you were giving advice to someone new in their career, right? Sure. So let me explain why I picked IBM and then I can explain. So the answer would not be IBM today. Great. Um, so I picked IBM because again, do the research. I'm trying to improve my odds. So you know, what I heard from people is listen, pick industries that are growing because industries that are growing have companies that are growing. And companies that are growing never have enough resource. Therefore, if you're good at what you do, you will probably have more opportunity faster to take on more and more responsibility. All right. So that's why I picked picked tech. And so fortunately, tech is still the industry. But back then, tech was the industry. So I picked tech. And then I looked around. And IBM was a leader in tech back then. So great. If I'm going to go be with a company, I might as well go be with the best. So I joined IBM. So if you ask me, what would I do today? You know, today, absolutely pick tech. But frankly, even tech is almost too broad a term. You know, tech was a much narrower industry back then than it is today. So look at the segments within tech that are growing, if you are ambitious, and then pick one of those. And then go look at the companies within those industries that are growing and pick one of them. Um, Because again, entities that are growing, there will just be more opportunities faster. Right. No, I think that's just, it's excellent advice. And like I said, you have the advantage and not by accident of having actually lived through this. Right. So again, I love the fact that when you say unapologetically ambitious, this is not saying someone, I hope to do this one day. This is a map of where you've been. And uh, it kind of gives you, you know, (laughs) it's funny. Someone else said, This week, they mentioned that I said, I want people to have hope in a path. You know, I want them to have a plan for going forward. This is it. This is what you're giving them now, right? That Uh, that whole idea. It warms my heart to hear you say that, Bill, because frankly, that's why I wrote the book. You know, I wrote the book because there are too many people out there that don't achieve their aspirations. You know, they wake up and they're in their 30s and they're like, gosh, I'm just not where I thought I would be. Or they're in their mid 40s, right? Or even early 50s. And it's like, gosh, what? I mean, No, I want more people to be able to achieve their aspirations. So I tried to share really candidly, kind of here's what worked. Here's what didn't, by the way. Um, And here's how you deal with disappointments and tragedy and hardships. And because life is hard and people don't tell you that either. Right. Life is hard. That's why we need help to get through it. Yeah, no, I, I think there's so much great advice, both in speaking with you and in the book. And I think people ought to go out and find that for themselves. If this is the kind of thing, if they want to do more inside their space, why not take someone who's been through it, who's had you know, macheted their way through <laughs> this thing, right? 
and uh, blazed a path and kind of take your path. Shelly Archibald, I really am delighted that you made some time on your very busy schedule. And we're going to put, I think we ought to have in our credits, by the way, just a list of all the things that you're currently involved in. I mean, listen, I have to take a nap after I read your LinkedIn profile. (laughs) I'm like, uh, it's wonderful. You're doing so many things and helping so many people. Thank you for taking some time to help us and our audience at Tech After Five about what comes next for them. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, it's Phil Yanov and I got Scott Pfeiffer here. We know how to find Scott. We'll put all this up in the credits. And I'm Phil Yanov. Come join us at Tech After Five. And we'll have a link, of course, to Shelley's book and her LinkedIn profile and all those ways that you can connect with her. And you can see if you're watching us on video, she's apparently on Facebook and Twitter and other things because she's got it all in the I'm screen. Everywhere. She's, she's exactly. awesome at this. <laughs> awesome at this. And uh, come see us at Tech After Five. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, everybody.